Great to see you. Turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus, and we call it the book of redemption. We see God redeeming his people, Israel, from bondage in Egypt. Now, this evening, God brings the final judgment, the final plague. It's the death of the firstborn, and we begin seeing it as we go into chapter 12 and 13 and how all this fits together. This final plague will again reveal God's great power and his glory. It will bring about the deliverance of the nation of Israel. And in the midst of this judgment, God provides a way of escape. Think about it. He provides a substitute so that all the firstborn will not die. The substitute, of course, is called the Passover lamb. And so that's what we're seeing. And this evening, we see the Passover lamb. We also remember that this is a foreshadow, foreshadow of what God has, did for us, God has done for us. In fact, we are redeemed from the bondage of sin by our Passover lamb. It is Jesus Christ who died as our Substitute. So when you really think about Exodus and we think about Passover and the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, it's just really a foreshadow of what God had planned, in a sense, for all of us, for the whole world. We see the great picture of the Exodus, God's redemption of his people. Well, let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night again. Thank you for the songs. So thanks for Rex and Hema. Thanks you for uh, all the different things that we've done tonight so far. And we, we just thank you for the privilege of bringing together the believers that we can worship you. Lord, we just ask you that as we look at just these first 14 verses in the chapter 12, that you would teach us, we'd seek some great truths so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tradition. Tevye in the story, Fiddler on the Roof, sings about the great traditions of his people. And they, he says tradition. And then he sings it and they say, why, why do we do these things? Why do we do these things? He says, I don't know. It's tradition. Traditions are sometimes good and sometimes bad. They're bad when things are just done for the sake of doing it, that things never change. And we say, we do it this way because we've always done this. But traditions can also be very good because they can teach us truths and values. Help us to remember things that have gone before us. James Dobson says one of the keys to family unity is to have traditions. What traditions do you ever have in your family? Now, we, we had a few. We always put up our Christmas tree after Thanksgiving. Uh, we would always go after we came here when, and my girls were born and everything. We'd go to my twin sister's house on Christmas Eve and then on to Jean's folks on Christmas Day. My dad had a tradition when we were growing up that when we opened presents on Christmas, he would always wear a red vest as he handed out the presents. And we knew that was time for to get the presents when Daddy put on the red vest. I'm sure that you have traditions as well, things like that. Why do we have traditions? I think two key things. One is a memorial to help us to remember the past, to not forget because there's things that we need to remember. And then and also that these traditions teach truth, things to be passed down to the next generation, to the younger generation. So when you think about traditions, they're good. And when we look at God's Word, especially dealing with the nation of Israel, we see so many traditions given by the Word of God to the people so they wouldn't forget things. I mean, all of the feast days, the holy days, uh, we did a study in Sunday school not too long ago on the Feast of Israel and went through every one of them. And there's so many. And, and you look at them and you say, this is where you won't forget this and you won't forget this and you won't forget this. This evening we're looking at one of the most famous of the Jewish traditions and all, the Jewish memorial. It's Passover where God delivers his people basically from Egypt. And, and think about it, it's a memorial. What God did, they remember what God did, how he judged Egypt and delivered Israel. But it's also something to continue to pass on to the future generations of God's redemption. So as we see this passage, this evening, we see God establishes a memorial for his people. 
And all of this is based on this final plague. And what we've been doing is, if you remember a brief review, God has judged the nation of Egypt. The Jewish people have been in, in, uh, in Egypt for over 400 years, about 420. And they're there, and they're, they're 430 right at that, at that time period. But they're, they're stuck there. They've been slaves. God has raised up Moses. Moses is... Uh, uh, basically gone to the Pharaoh, he and Aaron, and, and the told said, God says, let our people go. And, of course, Pharaoh continues to change his mind, continues to say one thing, do another. He never lets them go. They bring the plagues on. The plagues are judgments on the gods of Egypt. All of these different plagues are on their gods. The last plague, the death of the firstborn, is also a plague on the gods of Egypt because Pharaoh's firstborn son would be the next Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's considered to be a god. So this was a judgment and the final judgments on their gods. We saw last week that as God has taken them through these nine plagues, and then he said there'll be one more plague. And, and this Pharaoh would then let the people go. Look, look at chapter 11. Just flip back for just a second. Look at chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go from here, he will surely drive you out from here completely. We talked about it because we know the Bible and we've studied it over these years. And if everybody, if I said how many plagues of Egypt there were, you'd say ten. Everybody says that. But when we're studying through the book, they have no idea. God would say to Moses, go do this. And Moses didn't know. Hey, he, he didn't say, well, you know this is number five. got five to go. He had no idea. And then until chapter 11, verse 1, that he knows that there's only one more plague to go. Look what it is. Look at chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I'm going out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of cattle as well. Now that's the judgment coming, and he made it very, very clear. Notice it's all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Not just the firstborn of the Egyptians, but all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That includes everyone. But look at chapter 11, verse 7. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. That means nothing's going to happen to them. Whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Well, how is God going to make that distinction? Because every, he said, in every, throughout the whole land of Egypt, all the firstborn will die. Well, we're going to see that God provides a substitute. God provides a Passover lamb to die in the place of the firstborn. And to escape the judgment, uh, there has to be that substitute. Just think about that. You're there, and God says, every firstborn in the land will die. You think, well, I have a, I have a firstborn son. Is he supposed to die? God says, no, I'm going to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. I will have a substitute so that the firstborn son doesn't have to die. The substitute will be the lamb. Realize for us it's the same thing. The soul that sins is what? She'll die. The wages of sin is death. We're all supposed to die, but God has a substitute for us, and that is the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. So this evening we're going to see the instructions. In the first part, we'll see the instructions concerning the substitute. Let me break down the passage for you. That in verses 1 through 14 tonight, the instructions, verses 1 through 11, he gives the instructions about the lamb, what to do, how to put it all together, how to eat it. Then he tells about the judgment that's coming, verses 12 and 13, the death of the firstborn. I went on, in fact, chapter four, uh, verse 14 actually starts another section, but I put it in there because I just wanted you to see that it's the memorial. This is 
the beginning of this memorial. Well, let's begin. God gives Moses the instructions. Now, remember, God has judged Egypt nine times already with the final plague. There's no chance. By the way, in this last plague, there's no chance for for, for them to let them go before this happens. This is there's uh, uh, It's going to happen no matter what. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt. Now the Lord uh, is to Moses in the land of Egypt. He wants to realize this is before he takes them out. He's going to tell them how to escape the judgment. And, and by the way, uh, by the way, God has told us how to escape the judgment. There's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming on all the world. And the only escape is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, it, no man comes to the Father except through him. Notice verse 2. This month shall be the beginning of the month for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. And it, and it, it counts as their first month. It's the month of Nisan. That's not their new year, though. You understand that? Your calendar is a little bit different than ours. But the start of the first month for us is New Year's. But in the Jewish calendar, the first month is the month of Nisan. The seventh month of the year is the month in which they have their New Year's. And it's the Feast of Trumpets. So he says, this will be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. He says, from now on, this counts as the first month. And the future generations will be able to understand this is a new beginning. This is something that happened. Look at verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now what he tells them to do, on the tenth day of the month they are to go out and take a lamb, on the tenth. And it's one for each household. And so and he's going to explain more about exactly, because you could say, well, what if we got a little bitty household and this lamb that we're supposed to eat and we're going to find it, what if it's too big? What if there's... We can't eat it all. You know, think about what are we going to do? Well, he explains. He goes on and says this. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. He says, listen, if you've got a small house and you can't eat the whole lamb, then get with your neighbor that about matches you and that together you can eat one lamb for both of you. Okay, that's the plan. You go get a lamb on the tenth day, and here's what you do. He get, he tells you a description. He says, "Now, here's the kind of lamb you get. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You should take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, it's an unblemished lamb. You know, when, when they made sacrifices, we're going to see it later on as you get more into the sacrificial system and the Mosaic law that we see at, at Mount Sinai. Because see, we're not even to that yet. We're, we're, there's no law. There's no Mosaic law. It's not until after they get out and they go to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back with the top ten commandments and they break them all. So he breaks them and they go back up and they get uh, uh, 600 and you know 13 more and all of that. So it's not until then that you really see this whole sacrificial system. And every sacrifice that they offer has to be without blemish. has to be perfect. He says, you should take an unblemished male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The lamb must be perfect with no defects. You'll find later on in Leviticus 22, 18 through 20, as he gives more about the law and about the sacrifices, all the sacrifices have to be perfect with no blemish. They're the picture of the perfect sacrifice to come. That's Jesus Christ who's the lamb without spot or what? Or blemish. That's who he is. He's, this, this is just a foreshadow of our Savior. In fact, if you really think about it, almost every sacrifice, going back to Adam and Eve, and the sacrifice that God did, he killed that animal and covered them, that's a foreshadow of the death of a sacrifice to, to be the coming Savior and to deal with sin. And all the, all the sacrifices from Cain and Abel and Noah and all of them, all the way up, 
these sacrifices are a foreshadow of the Savior, and that's what we're seeing. Think about it. He says that uh, it's, you take it from the sheep or goats. We have a, 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 a sacrifice. <laughs> In First Peter one eighteen and nineteen, he says we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb. What does it say? Without spot or blemish. In Second Corinthians, God has made this. In Second Corinthians five twenty one, for God has made him who knew no sin. And you get in John one twenty nine, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God has for us a Lamb that is perfect, the Lamb of God. And even when you get into the book of Revelation and, and you see the scrolls and who comes out, it's a Lamb. The Lamb who is the Lion. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is also the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. I mean, it's amazing. He is all of that. So he says, you've got to get a perfect Lamb. Think about it in the future. When they've got sacrifices to make, and, and they know that they have certain sacrifices, you go out into the to the to where your animals are, and you go, I got to sacrifice an animal. Do I have one kind of limping over there? One that's maybe maybe that's not looking as good. Horns kind of messed up. Maybe what do I need to get? They couldn't do that. They couldn't pick out a bad lamb. They had to pick out the best lamb because it's a picture of the perfect righteous Son of God who's going to come as the Savior. So, look what happens. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month that, that, that the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Now, what they do is they pick the lamb out on the 10th. They basically looked at it for four days. And then on the 14th day of the first month, which is we, it's Passover. That's what that is. It's the month of Nisan. The lamb shall be slain. It literally says between the evening on the 14th day. I don't know if I have the slide that says between. Yeah, between the evenings. He's saying right there. And, and let me just tell you this. There's a, there's a little bit of discussion, and, and it, I'm not going to get into all of it. But when the Jewish day became the end, you know, like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and then it was 6 o'clock, and, and then it became night, so it started that next day, uh, some say there was a time period in there they just called it between the evenings. They'd sacrifice the lamb and start that, that day. And so they're saying, here's what's going to happen. You've got to kill the lamb on the 14th day of the first month. And that 14th started that night. See, they killed it that night, the 14th of the night and then the 14th of the day. That's the Jewish calendar. Uh, like tonight, this, if this was the, it, Jewish-wise, this is, this is Monday night Jewish calendar. This is Monday night because tomorrow is Monday day. That's the way it works. And so because the, they got that from God because God said in the first beginning of Genesis, the evening and the morning were the first day. The night comes first. So then the Jewish calendar, you started at 6 o'clock in the evening or around that. That started the night, but that was the next day, so to speak. It would be the next day. So here they are. He says, on the 14th day of that month, you kill that animal. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell us two things. He's going to tell us how to use the animal and how to eat the animal. First of all, how to use it. Okay, look at verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now, what they were supposed to do is they kill that animal and the blood comes out. And they dip some hyssop, which is like, like brush, like a bush that looks like a broom type bush, and you dip it down in that blood. You go over to the door and you put the blood on the side, the doorpost, and then the lintel was the top part. So you got blood there, there and there on this door and you put it there and that comes from that animal that they killed he says moreover they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintels of the houses in which they eat it so you can see that one family or even two families they would kill that animal they would dip it and they would go to their doors and they would put the blood on the sides and on the top 
Now, what about eating it? That's the second thing. How did they eat it? It says, they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. Now, they're going to eat it that night because they're going to kill it on the 14th in the evening. They're going to take the blood and put it on the door. And then they're going to roast the animal and eat it. And it says they shall roast it and they shall eat it with unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread is like a cracker. It doesn't rise up. The leavened was a picture of sin. We know that. And so we're going to see that they're going to start this thing, which they call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover's on the 14th day of the first month. You get a little bit over in Leviticus 23. Passover's on the 14th day of the first month. And the 15th to the 21st of the first month is unleavened bread. And and so that so what happens is they say okay you kill the animal and you put the blood on the door and you fix bread with un- unleavened bread because what we're saying we're having a picture and it's saying we don't have time for the bread to rise we got to get out of here so it's going to be unleavened bread and then he says and bitter herbs so unleavened bread and bitter herbs now why why these herbs I mean why bitter herbs I think it's if you if you look at a Passover celebration even today. When the Jewish people celebrate it, and, and it's a unique time in which the father has the Haggadah, which is the, the book which he opens, which he reads about the Passover, and all the people are at the table, and there's an extra seat there waiting for Elijah, and then the youngest son says, Daddy, why is this night different than all the other nights? And he begins to read, and he reads about the, the bitter herbs, how they reminded them of their pain and their sorrow in Egypt. And so, unleavened bread, no sin. They're coming out, sinless people coming out, and they eat it with bitter herbs. And they eat the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. Now, look at verse 9. Do not eat any of it raw or boil it at all in water, but ra- rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. Now, you're gonna, they're going to take this animal, and they're not going to roast it. I mean, they're not going to put it in water. They're, they're not going to eat it. They're going to they're roast it over a fire. And then it says this. You shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever's left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now, whatever they don't eat that night, whatever's left, they burn it up. It's gone. Nothing is left. Why? Because they're leaving. You know what I mean? You're not leaving anything behind when you leave. He explains that this is how you shall eat in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, it's a little bit strange because what he does is he says, kill the animal, put the blood on the door, stay in the house, roast it, then eat it. But eat it this way. Be ready. Eat it like you're about to walk out the door. That you're, that, You know, sometimes at your house you got to go sit. I'm just going to eat on the counter real quick because i got to go, Right? This is basically what he's saying. He says, have your loins uh, girded, which was like this. They had, you know, they had, they wore sheets, right? They, you know, what they wore. And so if you tried to run, you'd trip. So when people got ready to run, they would reach at the bottom part and tuck it into their belt so it'd come up like this. Then they could run. Then when they got to some place, they would pull it back down. So loins girded means that I'm, I'm ready to be able to go faster. So he says, here's what you do. Pull it up. Then he says, put your sandals on your feet. Because you're walking out of here. And put your staff in your hand. You're going to eat it with your staff in your hand. You can say, what are we doing? You shall eat it in haste. Why? It is the Lord's Passover. This is not a leisure meal for the Jewish people that night. It is a meal in which they're eating as fast as they can. 
because they know God has planned something for them to do. This is the Lord's Passover. God has provided this. This is the Lord's. He has provided the Israelites so they will be brought out of Egypt. In the same way, we also have the Lord's Passover. And the Lord's Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. And he has provided for us, I think the next slide says this, he has provided for us a substitute. So we will not die, but we'll be delivered from the bondage of sin. As the Jewish people that night got ready to take that lamb, wait for four days, of course, that night kill it, put the blood on the door, roast it, eat it as if they're ready to walk out the door, they know that God has a provision for them. We do the same thing. God has a provision for us. We're not here saying, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get to God. I don't know what we've got to do. I don't know what God wants me to do to get to Him. God says, you don't do anything. I'm already satisfied. Jesus Christ is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. I'm already satisfied. So here's the plan. Take it on the 10th, kill it on the 14th, eat it, put the blood on the door, get ready to leave. Why? Because we're, getting, we're coming out of here. The judgment will come and God will judge Egypt and redeem Israel. The final plague is coming. Now, verse 12, I don't know about you, but when I first, um, I trusted Christ. You all know the story. I trusted Christ when I was 19. I never read the Bible. Somebody gave me a Bible right after I trusted Christ. I read the book of Genesis and I read Exodus and I slowed down and then moved over to the new part. But let me just tell you, I remember reading this Exodus part. And these verses, like verse 12 and like verse 29 of chapter 12, and it actually scared me. I thought, look what happened. God says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. That's a powerful statement. I mean, you know, when you read the Bible, we talked about this a lot of times, you need to put yourself there. I mean, pretend. Well, who are we? We're saying, okay, we're Jewish. We're going to be Jewish. Uh, we don't want to be Pharaoh, let me tell you that, right? Then you want to be Jewish. So we're Jewish. We're there. What has he told us to do? Get a lamb. Kill the lamb. Put the blood on the door. Get ready to leave. You're going out of here because God is going to judge Egypt and he's going to kill every firstborn son in the land. And that means your firstborn son if you don't kill that lamb because that lamb is taking the place of your son. And that means every one of us are to die and to be separated from God forever unless we take the provision of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for us. It's powerful. He says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. Remember, that's what he's doing. Gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment because I am the Lord. Remember, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, personal name of God. That's the judgment. Three reasons for the plagues that we had talked about. Show the false gods, show that they're false gods, show that there's the true God, and to be able to pass this information on to their children. I am the God, the sovereign God, the eternal God who's in control. And I'll tell you what, we can rest in the security that our God is in control. Now, watch this. Here's the sign. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you, are, where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, you have to have killed the animal to have the blood to put on the door so that when he comes through at midnight... In the middle of the night, he's going to come through. When he comes through, he sees the blood, which comes from the lamb that died in the place of the sun. When he sees the blood, he passes over. 
So no plague, no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I see the blood, he says, I will pass over. I think the next line says, I will pass over you. An amazing thing. That night, you killed it, you ate it, you wait. Do you remember waiting for Y2K? Anybody old enough? Most of us old enough, right? You remember? And people said, you know, when it clicks over, uh, everything's going to mess up. All the computers going to mess up. The whole world's going to destroy itself. And I remember we went to some people's houses and we were eating and having a good time. And 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 then, you know, I, I thought, I said, you know, we're really worried about it right here. But, you know, it's already that time in England. And nobody said anything. Why do you, you think something's going to happen here? And, of course, you know, you sit there waiting for it to happen and nothing ever happened. This night, they're waiting. Staff in hand, sandals on, loins girded, ready to go. What's God going to do? And they say, we're okay. We got the blood of the Lamb. We got the blood of the Lamb. We're okay. You know there's a death in every home. Look at this. There's a substitute. There's a death in every home. It is either the firstborn or the substitute. And the substitute is the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb saved them from the death and delivered them from the bondage. Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, delivers us from death and bondage and separation. Do not take for granted what God has done for us. Well, there's one final thing I want you to see, and we'll stop. And that this day, this this time is going to be a memorial. It's going to be a memorial for the generations to come. Look at verse 14. Now, this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So let me tell you something. Every 14th day of the first month of a Jewish calendar, the Jewish people celebrate this day, and they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread every year. It goes all the way back to this time. 1,500 years before Jesus was ever born, this happened. And they celebrated, and they've celebrated it 1,500 years, 2,000 years. Same thing. Same thing. This, this Passover will be a memorial, and you'll celebrate it for the generations to come. And we think of the time of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see it not too long from now on Sunday mornings when we go through the Gospel of John, that Jesus Christ goes into that upper room with his men, beginning about chapter 12, and they sit down, and they're there for the Passover meal to remember what God had done. And and they think about it, and right in the middle of that Passover meal, Jesus says, I'm making a change. See this bread? My body. See this blood? I mean, this juice, this is my blood. I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the one that's going to deliver you from the bondage of sin. That's why I came. Isn't that amazing? And every time, and next week, next Sunday night, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And we have the Lord's Supper. What do we think about? The body and the blood. Jesus Christ becoming the Lamb of God to die for us and to pay for our sins. It's so amazing. We celebrate it. We call it the Lord's Supper. We remember the body and the blood, the death and the resurrection of our perfect Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Well, as we look this evening, we see God's provision for Israel, the substitute to redeem them and to deliver them from the bondage in Egypt. So, great stuff. We see God gives instructions to get the lamb on the 10th, kill it on the 14th, put the blood on the doors, be ready to leave. He's coming, and we see that this is a memorial. So, let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's take God's provision for salvation. 
He has a provision, and it's the substitute. The substitute is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb. We realize that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we need a Savior. But God, in His grace and mercy, has sent a substitute, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the, the perfect Lamb of God whose, whose blood was shed. To, tr- to have salvation, you trust in the Lamb of God. We just had membership training, and, and, and membership training, I say, as we get ready to start, I say, now, by the way, during membership training, sometime you need to come up, and I need to ask you two questions. And they all look at me and get funny look, and they walk up, and I have to ask these two questions. The first question I ask, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? What do you think everybody says? Yes. Well, I mean, they've been in our church. They're not idiots, right? Okay, but anyway, second... I, I say, the second question is, why? And every one of them say, because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior who died and rose again for me. He's the Passover Lamb. He's the Savior. That's our substitute. Jesus died so that we don't have to be separated. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The second thing, and this is a real simple one, is this. Let's observe the memorial that God has given us as the Lord's Supper. Uh, We're not going to observe it tonight, but uh, next Sunday night, as you come in, we'll have all the elements and everything ready. And as we continue through this, because this is going to take us several weeks. There's 51 verses in this chapter. It's going to take us several weeks to go through and see the Passover and what God did. And we'll be remembering the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper, the memorial that God has given for us. May we proclaim to all the way of salvation found in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to study your word, to see these great truths, and and to, Lord, to realize that you have provided a way for us. Thank you for our substitute, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. May we never take it for granted. And, Lord, next week, (coughs) when we have the Lord's Supper, we remember what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that we never take it for granted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything? Yeah, Gary. Oh, a lot? Oh, most of them do. Yeah, and they, and they don't always do it in the, you know, the same way. But we know that in, in the families, the, the, the oldest man, the daddy or the granddaddy, is, runs the family, runs the deal, and he has a book and which has the, the readings, and he sits there and reads them, and each child, the old, youngest child knows he's got certain things to do, and then they have the different things. So, yeah, a lot of them still celebrate. Now, if, there's a lot of Jewish people that uh, they don't count anything anymore. You know, when you think about Jewish people, we all have this idea that they're all under law and, and keep all the rules and everything. If you go to Israel, about 80, well, 60 to 70% of the Jewish people, they're non-religious at all. They don't, have, they don't do anything. Uh, and then there's a group of people that would say, uh, we, we try to hold to the traditions. And then there's the people like the Hasidic Jews and those who hold to everything and they follow every letter of every law and they actually look and say that they don't even recognize the Israeli government as being accurate. You know, and and uh, and then you have in Israel and in other places what we call uh, Jewish Christians, 
people who are Jewish who actually believed in Messianic Jews, as we call them, they believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And when they celebrate the Lord's Supper, they celebrate or they celebrate Passover in a different way. They we've had we've had some Jewish we uh, we support several Jewish organizations for our church. We've had them come and put on a, a Passover for us. But it's the the Christian one, you might say, is where all of the elements of the Jewish Passover are explained, but they really all explained through Jesus Christ. So it's really perfect. That's something we might ought to do. I've got uh, I've got a couple of Jewish organizations that have written me that wanted to come. Uh, the problem is they don't want to they don't ever want to come at Passover time. They want to come at a different time, and I'd rather have them come at Passover. But we might can get one to come sometime and put on just a brief Passover demonstration for us, so you could see it. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That'd be great. Yeah. So some do and some don't. A lot of regular Jews don't do anything, but the ones that do the traditions do that. Anything else? Any other questions? Yeah, Gary. Best you can tell, but it could be that only the only the oldest one survives. Who knows? We just have no way of knowing. It is a male. Uh, the Hebrew word there, because it just says the firstborn, but it is it is a uh, it's a, a word for a male. Although sometimes I looked it all up because we talked about it. Uh, if you've got an NIV, the NIV says son or man, doesn't it? If you, who's got an NIV? Uh, anyway, you don't have to look it up. But NIV says male, but the New American Standard just says firstborn, and the Hebrew word is a word for male, although the word can also be used generally for all people. As you get a little further over and you get over into the thir- chapters 13, 14, 15, and, they, and, and God says, when you get into the land, all firstborn sons belong to me, not just all firstborns. So that's why we think it ties back that he's really talking about firstborn sons here. And I'm with you. I don't know whether if you've got a granddaddy and a daddy, and um, that these two would die, and this one would be, or you know, or only this one. Who knows? Yeah, right. It's, it's firstborns living, best I can tell. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Let me do this. I uh, just want to remind you before we break for the party over there that. Uh, the first announcement is there's a reception for Rex and Hema right over there. So that's over there. And then next week's the Lord's Supper. I talked about that. On the 19th of the month is the Women's Fall Fellowship. That is a great thing. So women, you can sign up out in the lobby. Uh, it's going to be very, very, very special. So you don't want to miss that. And then also don't forget on the 25th of this month is the Home Fellowship Groups. So if you're not in a Home Fellowship Group, call the church office and say, I'm not in one. I want to be in one. We start them back in June. They go June, July, August, and then we get into the school year, and we have one in September, one in October. In, in November, we have the one at the church, which is our big uh, Thanksgiving. Then you have a Christmas one. Then you have a Super Bowl one. Then you go on and have a couple more in the spring. So they go for the whole year, and it's it's not a Bible study. It's just fellowship. we got a lot of Bible studies at Countryside. We just don't need to add another Bible study, but we want you to have home fellowship groups where you can be with people, and you're in the same group for the whole year. When that year is over, we start over again, and you sign up again, and we put you in a different group so you get to know more and more people as the time goes by. So if you're not in a home fellowship group, be sure and call the church office and sign up. It's the, I guess it's the last Sunday night of this month. Is that right? The 25th? Okay. 
Anything else? Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for this special time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.